Welcome to Mary's Cup of Tea, the self-love podcast for women. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski, an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that will inspire you to love yourself. Hello, self-lover. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. Thousands of people have this book and the five-star reviews are so amazing. They give me so much life. So I hope that this is something that can help you too. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com book. After releasing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I realized that we really needed something to keep us going every single day. So not a deep dive workbook, but maybe like a micro dose of self-love in your daily life, which is why I wrote 100 Days of Self-Love. It's a guided journal with, you guessed it, 100 prompts that cover so many areas of life, including body, identity, purpose, emotions, mindset, relationships, and more. So you can really think of it as a metaphor multivitamin, something to keep you going, or as I like to say, growing on your self-love journey. You can get this journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. It's my mission to share all the self-love tea with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can do just that. Content warning. This is an episode about pregnancy loss, chronic pain, and the grief that comes with feeling like your body has betrayed you. Ashley Lemieux is somebody that I've followed for over five years, someone I've admired so much because her story is just so gripping and the way she's been able to shine her light even amidst the darkest of times is just beyond admirable. She joins us today to share her personal experience with pregnancy loss, a near-death health emergency, and crawling her way through grief. Not only is this episode a giant permission slip to let yourself feel your pain and to acknowledge your grief for what it is, but you'll also receive encouragement and tools for finding your light in the dark. We talk about how men and women grieve differently and the toll it can take on a marriage, why so many of us feel guilt in the grieving process, how to begin to heal after a tragic loss, and ways to feel safe in your body after going through any kind of health condition, whether that's a medical emergency or extended chronic pain. In case you don't know Ashley Lemieux, oh my goodness, firstly, I got to meet her in person. This episode is like my first interview podcast recording that was in person, aside from the episodes that I did with my husband and my little sister. So this was so surreal. I felt like an official podcaster and totally fangirled because like I said, I've been following Ashley for so long and she's just so down to earth and even more amazing in person, if you can believe that. Ashley Lemieux is a best-selling author, a speaker, a content creator whose mission is to help you triumph through challenging times. She also holds a master's in mental wellness and grief and has written two books, including Born to Shine and I Am Here. And her podcast is called Healing Her. 
which I also was on because we did a little pod swap when we were together. And on her podcast, we talk about grieving a life unlived, which has been a theme in my life, so to speak. I've shared a little bit. I've been feeling lost and not sure what direction I'm headed in the future. And with that comes some moments of sadness, dare I say, this feeling that I call grieving a life unlived. So once you listen here, pop on over to the Healing Her podcast and listen to my episode on Ashley's podcast. Everything Ashley shares, whether that's on her Instagram, in her podcast, here on this episode, it will really help you feel less alone and more empowered, especially during life's inevitable lows. Without further ado, please welcome Ashley Lemieux to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. This is the first time I've done an in-person recording with anybody outside of like the two people in my family and my house. So I'm feeling a little nervous, especially given the depths of the topic that we're going to cover, which is something that my listeners have been asking me for so many times, especially my self-lovers with chronic health conditions, those who have gone through very difficult things, not just related to body image, but like body experience health. And I know you have been through the ringer with that shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And before we go any farther, I just want you to know that if, because something that you just said was, it can feel heavy. And I want this episode to feel the most supportive way possible. And so that's my job is to help it not feel heavy. Yeah. And so that's what I'm going to try my best to do right now. So everyone can leave with the tools that they are hoping to find. I think that's why I've been following you for six years, because not only are you a warrior, but like you said, you add a sense of levity to such darkness and it makes it easier and digestible and you're such a warm and encouraging voice. I love your podcast and the relaunch of it. So I know that it's going to be that times a thousand in this one. You're so nice. (laughs) Thank you. I'm honored to be here with you. So I'm excited for this. Now that we're committed to lightness, let's talk about grief. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Tell me about your personal experience with grief and like why you started researching it, studying it, guiding other people through it because you do it so beautifully. But I know that you're not one of those people that just talks about it from personal experience. You're also like very well educated on it. (laughs) Well, I will go back just three years ago because I feel like 2020 was kind of this level ground for all of us because Mm -hmm. all of us went through something during the pandemic, even if it was on a global scale, just the sense of normalcy that changed. So 2020 for me was really difficult personally because I was 16 weeks pregnant and we had just moved into our new home that was our dream forever home to bring our baby boy into. And it was the same week that the pandemic shut everything down here in Arizona. And I got really sick a couple days after moving in. And because everything had just shut down here in Arizona, I was nervous to go to the doctor because we were supposed to stay home. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't know then what we know now. You're pregnant. I was pregnant. We were just trying to be safe. And so I kept holding out. And then that night around midnight, the pain just escalated. And I was in my bed screaming. 
I was crying. I had a fever. I couldn't get out of bed. And so my husband called the ambulance and they rushed me to the hospital. And when they got there, they checked the baby and the baby was fine. He's doing good. And I was like, okay, I can go through anything that I need to because I can do this for the baby. They then found that I had gone septic, which at that time I had heard about it. I didn't really know the severity of it or what it meant, but basically it's when your body has an infection and then it enters your bloodstream. A large percentage of people who actually die in the hospital die from going septic Mm -hmm. or they lose their limbs or they go into kidney failure or there's so many things that happen. And I didn't realize the severity of going septic until they then said, we have to admit you for, we don't know how long, because you need to be watched and medicated. We need to make sure that we can get on top of this. But then they also said, this is the first day that the hospital has started a policy that you can't have any outside guests be with you. So you need to say goodbye to your husband right now. And I remember in that moment, just feeling so freaking terrified, lonely, nervous. And because also it was during the pandemic, they didn't know where to put me because I was pregnant. And so they didn't Mm -hmm. want to expose me to any patients that they had. So they put me in a triage room. I was behind a little curtain for days. And there's this one part of my stay there where I thought I was going to die. And a nurse came running in and she looked at me and she said, Very soon, there's going to be a rapid response team is what it's called of eight doctors surrounding you so that we can get you stable again. And this man came up and his name was Willie. I'll never forget Willie. And he was taking an EKG of my heart to Mm -hmm. see what was going on because I was having a really hard time breathing. And I remember looking at Willie and I said, am I going to die right now? And he looked at me and he said, Ashley, you are the person who has been called to get through this moment. You're the only one who can pull yourself out of it. We're here to support you, but you have to find the strength in you right now to help get through to this other side. And that was the first and only time in my life where I realized that I was literally on this line of life and death. And in that moment, I was like, I want to live so badly. There's still so much that... I want to do that. I hope to do people that I want to spend Mm -hmm. time with. And somehow we made it through that time. But then I called the doctors back in after they had left because I was like, there's no way that my baby just survived that too. I just had this feeling. I was like, whatever just happened to me, both of us could not have survived that. And so they took me down to get an ultrasound a few hours later. And the second they pulled um, the ultrasound up on the screen, I, I knew that he was gone. There was no heartbeat. And I ended up delivering him. I was in labor all night, but I didn't really know that because it was my first pregnancy. And also because I, I was in so much pain leading up to that, that at that point, like pain is just pain. Like I was just mm-hmm. overtaking my body, but I had been in labor all night and I didn't know it. So the next morning I delivered him all by myself in the hospital. And um, it was one of the most horrific moments of my life. You went through that all alone? All alone. 
Yeah. Without the support of like husband or family. I mean, they were supporting me from FaceTime or from calls Mm -hmm. or from, you know, afar. In fact, that night before when we found out that we lost our baby boy, his name is Jace. And Jace actually means healer. But my mom and sister drove to the parking lot to FaceTime me at the hospital just, Mm -hmm. just so that we could be as close as we possibly could, but we couldn't yeah. be there together. But from that and from the grief that entered into our life, from losing him, the pregnancy, through my grief of my body, mm-hmm. through the guilt I felt, through the betrayal that I felt my body had brought me to the grief that started to impact the marriage of me and my husband because we're grieving differently. We're trying to figure things out. I mean, grief literally overtook every sense of mm-hmm. our lives. And I knew I had to figure out a way to work through it. Mm-hmm. Backtracking a little bit to Willie, when he said, essentially, like, you have to fight for this. Like, we can do what we can medically, but you have to kind of like decide. Do you think he meant that on like a spiritual metaphysical level or like regardless of how he meant it, how did you receive that? And why were those words what helped carry you through? I received that in a way where I was like, he's right. I have to help fight this right now. I have to pull something out from inside of me. And I don't say this in a way to say those whose lives have passed aren't because they didn't fight hard enough. That's not it at all, because I'm also very aware that we can fight as hard as we possibly can and still have an outcome that we didn't want, right? But in that moment, I just knew that my body needed me to exert some type of spiritual and physical effort that would help it get from where it was to a place where it could be stable and healing could be facilitated. And it was hard. It was really hard. And the months that followed were really hard because of everything my body had gone through. And I almost feel like looking back, when I think of that particular experience, I feel like that helped me more so in the months ahead because it became this resounding voice of Willie being Mm -hmm. like, you can do this. You're the only one who can because as months went on and I was still sick or I still was missing my baby and we were still trying to figure out the pain I was in, it got so overwhelming that there were times where I was like, I just want to give up. I can't Mm -hmm. do this anymore. And so I almost feel like part of him saying that was not help me only then, but was to help me in the future. The precursor and you echoed similar sentiments a couple episodes ago, I think on the Healing Her podcast. You did such a beautiful episode with your husband talking about the ways that people grieve differently Mm -hmm. and what y'all went through not just through this pregnancy loss, but it was in the context of flash forward a few years later and where you're at now. But you said something at the end, because this was kind of like a message to spouses about how like you can't make anyone heal. Yeah, It has to be like their own 
doing. And like you said, this isn't at all intended to be like, you didn't try hard enough if your body's in pain. It's more so that like people can alleviate your pain. They could provide medical assistance. They could give you encouraging words. But at the end of the day, like as terrifying and as traumatic it was that you were alone in a sense, like we're all kind of alone in certain types of pain and in certain types of grief. And we all die alone. I know that's some people's biggest fear, but everybody dies alone in a certain regard, even if you're holding somebody's hand along the way. Yes. There's something that I studied and it's actually the top five regrets of the dying. And one of the biggest regrets of the dying is that people wish that they would have allowed themselves to be happier. Mm. And I think about that often because I think that so many times in our lives, and specifically if I just think of my own and this specific example that I'm sharing right now, it was so easy for me. And I often fell in this pattern of I'm going to be happy when I'm going to be happy when I feel better. I'm going to be happy when I feel like me and my husband are on the same page, I'm going to be happy when I'm pregnant again. I'm going to be happy when my baby comes up. Mm-hmm. It's just, we wait for this train of happiness to come, trying to convince ourselves that that's what's going to save us. But what I have learned about healing is that it's not one big moment. It's consistent movement forward. And if we don't do the work that we need to, to invite healing into our lives, we will get those things and we can get those things and feel more miserable than ever. Mm -hmm. And so healing has never been about that outcome, but it's about that feeling that we carry with us of wholeness, of allowing ourselves to return to ourselves, to trust ourselves, to allow ourselves to feel all of our emotions, whether they are hard or they are happy. And going back to what you said about a lot of people die alone, I think that in our aloneness is really when things are quiet, where Mm -hmm. if we haven't done that healing work, the pain can get really, really, really loud, which is why I think that so many people are afraid of dying alone. Mm -hmm. So post that hospital stay, how did you crawl yourself out? How did it impact your marriage? I would love to hear about like the different types of grief. And like, I think a lot of people are familiar with like the stages of grief, but in a deeper sense, like how do people grieve differently? And what was that like for you personally? Yeah, so I literally crawled <laughs> crawled my way through. In the beginning, I couldn't get out of bed because my body had just gone through sepsis. And then for six weeks after that, I felt like my body was on fire and I kept going to the doctors. We kept trying to figure things out. No one could figure it out. After six weeks, would you know that they finally listened to me that something was severely wrong and I had retained placenta for six weeks, which kills people, then I had to have an emergency surgery to remove that. So my body, I felt so unsafe in my body during that time that I almost started dissociating from it because I I didn't feel safe inside of it. I remember feeling so betrayed by my body, so mad at it, so frustrated that it saved me, but it didn't save my son. And I remember this 
very real feeling of wanting to run away from myself. That's mm-hmm. the only way I know how to describe it. But I couldn't. I, I couldn't go anywhere. No, no matter where I went, there I was. But then that also impacted my relationship with my husband. Because when you don't feel safe in yourself or you feel this shame or this guilt with yourself, it's very hard to connect with another person or very hard to feel safe connecting with another person. And a lot of times men and women in a heterosexual relationship grieve differently. And this isn't a hundred percent of the time, but Mm -hmm. research has shown us it happens very often where men want to move forward in their life. So a lot of times men will work more Mm -hmm. or they'll take on more projects or they're kind of leave more or whatever that looks like. And women usually categorically, again, not all the time, want to talk about it and need to talk about it. And if your partner's also not talking about it, then we can start telling ourselves stories of, oh, this doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to you. Oh, this isn't as important to you. Or how could you move on so fast? Um, And then that can create a lot of friction. And so we're trying to navigate just so many things that we were grieving and We were still Mm -hmm. in a pandemic, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of outside support and community is so vital for healing. And I just remember being like, I cannot feel this way the rest of my life. What do I need to do to help things move from where I am right now to hopefully one day feeling just a little bit better than this? Mm -hmm. What were those things? Because I'm listening to you as somebody who's a longtime follower, a longtime Mm -hmm. admirer. My husband knows you by first name. Like so we sweet. we watch you guys and look up to you. You and Mike are so like emotionally intelligent and self-aware. And how long have you been married? Crap. I literally, I'm like, wait, why don't I know this off the top of my head? It's like, either 13 or 14 years. Okay. Like it, over a decade. That's what I thought. I think it's 14. Wow. That's wild. A long time. Yeah. That's a long time. I listen to your story and I'm like, if they struggled which I find hard to believe just, again, listening to you and learning from you, but also knowing that there's so much that goes on, even in Buddha's life, I'm sure. How can we crawl out? Like, what were those things that helped you, especially amidst a pandemic where that vital part of community was taken from us? There's one thing that I wish everyone would do and that they would know, but the reality is that the majority of people spend their entire life not doing this one thing. And when I tell you what this one thing is about how can we start moving forward in our grief, you're going to be like, okay, that does not sound profound at all. (laughs) But truly, we spend our lives avoiding this. And so then we just find ourselves cycling back over and over again into this pain that hurts us. But the number one place we need to start is with acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is the first step Mm -hmm. of helping our grief move through us. Well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Because we actually live in a society that is anti that, that in the workplace, this is so wild. The bereavement policy on average, if you lose someone who is very close to you, an immediate family member, they pass away, you get three days off of work. And then you are expected to show up, produce as normal work as well as you were before. That's just how our society is. We're told to shove things down or to lose more weight if we want to feel better or to take this pill or to buy this thing. We're told to do literally everything 
but acknowledge the pain because sometimes it feels easier just to pretend that you're okay or to focus on other things. But with acknowledgement, it's really being able to witness your pain and take a check of where you are and why you are feeling that way so that then you can have help finding the language and the steps that you need to take to move forward. But until you can reach that point where you acknowledge that you're actually not doing okay, you're going to keep running in these very hazardous cycles, doing things that don't help you. Some people spend their whole life doing that. Mm -hmm. About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. What does acknowledgement look like? I think a lot of people listening are pretty good at validating other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, that, that's hard. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to let you be in your pain. And then we struggle to do that for ourselves. What did that look like for you and Mike? Did you have a moment of realization that you maybe glossed over it without acknowledging it? How did you know what to do? So during that time, I was finishing writing my book. Which one? I am here. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on my book to create a best-selling book. I'm going to throw all of my energy in this. That was one of the most harmful things that I could have ever done for myself. Mm-hmm. Instead of paying attention to the parts of me that needed help, I threw myself into work. And part of what is so hard about acknowledging is that also in the grief process, we feel something called guilt. And guilt can be the biggest source of just our demise. We tell ourselves that it was our fault. We tell ourselves that if we would have done something differently, then we wouldn't have the outcome that we have had. But what we know about guilt and the reason why we feel it in the grieving process is because guilt is this trick that our mind plays on us that tells us that we're in control and that if we just do something differently Mm -hmm. in the future, then we're going to be living in this safe and predictable world. So guilt is really trying to protect us to feel safe, but instead it tells us, these lies. And so for me, getting to this place where I really was able to confront my guilt and acknowledge it for what Mm it was and acknowledge the reality that life is just really hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love to be in control, because I sure do, that 
I can't always be in control and mm-hmm. there's going to be hard things happening. So then how can I support myself to feel safe in an unpredictable world? Mm-hmm. And that led me to then the next steps of yeah. what does our marriage look like in a world that is unpredictable? How do we feel safe together? What types of things do I need to add into my routine so that I feel safe throughout my day? Do I need meditation so that I feel like I'm trusting my gut and and listening to myself more? What type of foods am I feeding my body to help facilitate this mm-hmm. healing process? There's just so many different little things that I started adding in, I actually created myself a healing ritual because I do like control so much and I have a really hard time when I'm out of control. Big sister vibes. Uh, it's really, yeah, <laughs> oldest, yeah, and oldest daughter. Yep. I actually wrote out a healing schedule mm-hmm. for myself, starting with 8 a.m. What was I doing? 9 a.m., 10, 10, 30. I needed a structure mm-hmm. so that instead of trying to numb, because the opposite of acknowledgement is numbing. Instead of trying to numb and shove things into my body or just trying to zone out by doing things that weren't actually helping me, I had to get very intentional with how I was spending my time so Mm. that I could feel better in the long run. I don't know if this analogy will land, but it almost reminds me of how when somebody is in the thick of recovery, like say they're doing an inpatient eating disorder treatment program, the people as far as I know, the medical professionals will make a meal plan for you to ensure that you are eating. Now, when you're out of recovery, you might think that this is, you know, rigid. It's the opposite of what should happen in healing with, you know, food freedom and everything. But when you are that deep, structure creates like a sense of stability and like you mentioned that safety element and almost, you know, trying to not employ as much willpower, but having it like in your schedule, like from 12 to one, I shall cry. Yes. (laughs) You know, because that that part is important. For some reason, it made me think of that. Totally. Well, and it helps give a sense of predictability. You know what to expect in a situation where you feel so out of control And in a world that is so unpredictable, having a schedule like that brings a sense of predictability that allows you to start feeling a little bit safer because you know what is coming up next. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought up guilt as like a mean cousin of grief. It gets me thinking to a certain family member went through like a really hard health crisis and I remember them expressing a lot of like the guilt of feeling like I'm putting my family through this, like your caretakers, I'm taking away from their lives. Did you ever feel that way with Mike or your family? 100%. I felt so guilty, especially with Mike, that I didn't protect his son with my family that they were going through the pain of losing their grandson or their nephew and also the fear that they had of losing me. To be totally honest, I still feel that guilt because we, happy news, we do have a 17-month-old little girl now and I know that my husband Mike wants more kids. I know that and I also know that I physically and emotionally can't go through that again. And so we've had so many conversations about 
that she's our baby, she's here and I cannot go through being pregnant again. And I carry that guilt also. Mm-hmm. I, I carry the guilt of knowing we would love more children and, and not being able to to give that to him, to us, to her, my daughter. And so, you know, there's two ways that we feel guilt. Sometimes guilt comes because we know that we've made a mistake somewhere along the way and it helps us course correct or it helps us apologize. It helps us change our pattern. But in grief, it tries to help us feel like we're in control and and that we're the ones to blame. And so living in that place of self-blame though, that's actually what damages Mm -hmm. our relationships with the people that we are hurting for. We're sitting here in person and driving here to you. I was getting flashbacks because the last time that I was on this side of town was exactly 11 months ago. It was a couple days after me and my husband took our engagement photos and my best friend, who's also a a very talented photographer, was the one who took our engagement photos and she brought her best friend, also her roommate that she's had through all of COVID and somebody that, you know, we are always mutual friends with because we hung out together. And she she brought her friend to like film some videos of Stan and I during our engagement session. And it was so fun. And then we went out for dinner and drinks later. And I get a phone call the day after that Katie died last night. I came on this side of town because this happened to be where my friend was staying and where I picked her up from after she found out the news that her best friend of many, many years tragically suddenly passed away in the middle of the night because she was trying to do the safe thing and take a Uber home. But instead that Uber crashed and killed her. And it was insane, like receiving that news and watching my friend grieve so much more because she was a lot closer to her and then, you know, still thinking about her and hearing her voice and all of our engagement, so many of our happy memories and having that photo album on our coffee table and like always knowing that like Katie was behind that camera too. And the reason why I bring this up is because even like kind of having this I know you as a grief expert, you're going to be like, this is wrong, Mary. You are (laughs) entitled to your grief too. I almost felt like I was getting like secondhand grief Mm -hmm. because I was like trying to support a friend and I wasn't as close to Katie. So I remember like just feeling like guilty in, you know, other like family drama that we've had to deal with and tragic stuff that my husband and I have been going through over the past year. There's this sense of, like you said, the illusion of control. Like if only I had driven Katie home, you know, if only she had waited five minutes, if only, and I remember literally I have a text from her 15 minutes before she died because she replied to some dumb meme I sent her on Instagram. And I was thinking like, if only like I had texted her back on Instagram, then maybe she wouldn't have gotten into the Uber at the exact time that she did. And then that all led to her death. All that to say that close, mean cousin of grief being guilt is like something that rings so, so true and like so deeply. I just love the way that you presented it as an illusion of control, of thinking that like we could have changed it if only we had done the smallest, littlest thing. 
first of all, I'm so sorry. And I think that something that you said right now is a very common feeling that all of us share in grief with, with that guilt. But then also what I heard you say is that you felt guilty for grieving when you knew that she was closer to your friend. And something that we all do, and this is why I brought up acknowledgement as the very first thing, is that we always tell ourselves stories of why we don't have permission to feel how Mm -hmm. we do, of other people have it worse than us, Mm -hmm. or this is my fault, so I shouldn't be grieving. I should just berate myself or whatever that is. It's just this consistent story of, well, I don't have it as bad as them. Therefore, my feelings shouldn't be this way and they're not valid. But the truth is, is that grief comes when you lose someone, when you lose anything. It doesn't even have to be a death that brings grief. There's so Mm -hmm. many different parts of life that bring it. But until we're able to sit and acknowledge and allow ourselves to feel it, it can make moving through it feel really difficult because grief is hard enough as it is. Even if you're accepting it and you're, I'm acknowledging it and okay, I'm talking through my guilt and I have support and I have therapy and I have all these things. The best case scenario is that your grief is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And so part of healing is not how do we not feel this feeling anymore? Because what we also know about grief is that it changes you. And when you lose someone or something that you love, that's going to last for the rest of your life. That is Mm -hmm. just the reality of it. So it's not, how do I stop feeling this way? It's how can I also feel joy again too? Mm -hmm. How can I feel safe again too? How Mm -hmm. can I dream again too? How can I live in a way that honors the past while also honors the future? And that's the goal of a place that I hope all of us can get to in our grief with the right tools. Oh my God, that was so, so good. Like you said, grief doesn't have to be from like a loss or tragic event. We talked on your podcast, which is also out about grieving a life unlived, which is what I can imagine a lot of what you were feeling after your pregnancy loss, loss, lost. (laughs) We talked about lost a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about that on your, on your show. So could you highlight if there are any other, I guess, scenarios or, or situations that can bring up grief for people? I know we, we talked a bit about that feeling of your body betraying you, of the life that you had to leave behind against your own will. There's heartbreak. There's obviously deaths. What yes, else? There's so many things. Losing a job. If you're in a place where your coworkers mean everything to you and you got fired or you had to quit and now your identity, even if you didn't like your job, you still found identity in that job. Mm-hmm. And now you're like, who am I without this? How do I rebuild? There's loss of dreams for the future, whether that's because of an illness or a medical condition or a diagnosis or plans just changed or a breakup happened. There's grief that comes through a divorce. There's 
oh my gosh, something that so many women struggle with and we're like, am I the only one? Why do I feel this terrible? Is friendship breakups. Mm -hmm. When that person's still there out in the world, but it creates, it's called an ambiguous loss because there's no closure, but Mm -hmm. you don't share that same connection anymore. And you wish you did, maybe. A lot of grief comes from that. There can be grief postpartum. You have your baby who who you've wanted and you love and also you miss who you were before your baby came Mm. and you're trying to figure that out there can be grief of watching your parents age or yeah I mean there's just so many ways grief of a pet right Mm. A, a pet who dies like so many things that deeply impact us but that a lot of times we don't give permission for us to process through because again we tell ourselves well it's not as bad, so I should be feeling like this. But the reality is, is that anytime you experience a loss, it's going to impact you because who you are now after that loss is different than who you were before. And mm-hmm. that in itself is also a grief. What did you call it? Ambiguous? Uh, ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss. Similar to friendship breakups. I think of like my estranged family, mm-hmm. which is like a way of grief, but like I shared on your podcast, my complicated feelings about my dad. One complicated feeling that I'm currently having is that I haven't spoken to him in years. So Mm -hmm. it's like, he's like dead, but I don't know if he's dead. Mm -hmm. He could be dead. And then a dark part of me is like, it would just be easier if he was dead Mm -hmm. because then I could have, like you said, closure. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to a way that I would like to wrap up and just hear you speak about is how do you feel about you know how people say time heals because I'm sure people who are dealing with like for example a chronic health condition and they're like there's no end in sight or in a strange family like there is like what is the end the only end is more grief so I have a feeling that it's just something we have to learn how to coexist with like you said with like how do I move forward to how do you feel about Time heals. So first of all, I hate the phrase time heals all wounds. There's a lot of things. I also hate everything happens for a reason. Oh. I also hate God has a better plan. I also hate they were needed on the other side. There's a lot of things that we say to ourselves and to each other to try to make the situation feel better. But the reality is, is that your grief is as bad as it feels. Hmm. And sometimes we have to sit with that. Now, to help us move forward, another thing about grief is that grief is not something that we move on from, but it's something that we can move forward with. The thing about grief that we are taught wrong is that grief is something that must be fixed. But if grief was something that must be fixed, then that would mean that we are broken and we're not broken. So instead of grief being something to be fixed, what I have learned about grief not just personally, but also through research and study in school, is that grief is something to be experienced. And as we can invite tools in to help us experience our grief in a way that feels supportive, in a way that gives us the tools and the language and the rituals to help us keep walking forward, then grief can feel like something that's not so heavy and scary, but something that we coexisted with that was never made to destroy us. But because we are human and because we are surrounded by love, of course, we're going to feel it. That is what connects us in this human experience. Your daughter is so fucking lucky. She's so lucky and your husband's so lucky and I'm so lucky to know you. You're so sweet. 
Thank you. I love you, Ashley. I usually, I've been trying to practice not throwing out, like, I love you to random people I meet. But this is I love <laughs> an exception. Back. I love you. Thank you so much for serving us today. Thank you for letting me be here with you. Uh, why are you so good? <laughs> One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show, Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.